This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. The big lesson that banks learned from the last financial crisis was not to lend to people with low credit scores. Period. Anna Maria Andriotis covers consumer lending. It sounds very simple, and it pretty much is. The mortgage meltdown was in large part the result of people with low credit scores getting approved for mortgages. Similarly, with credit cards, with other consumer loan products. So lesson learned from the last recession was don't lend to many people who have low credit scores. The financial crisis wasn't just caused by risky loans. There was a ton of bad behavior by banks and by Wall Street. But the fact that credit was so easy to come by compounded the problems when the economy turned south. So for a long time after the crisis, lenders would not grant these loans. But now they're back. Today on the show, the ways that banks are bringing back risky lending 10 years after risky lending sunk the economy. Welcome to The Journal, our daily show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Monday, September 23rd. For the last decade, big banks have been focused on lending to the people with the highest credit scores. And now, borrowing is at an all-time high. Americans with good credit are taking out loans to buy cars and houses and other stuff. But that pool of people is only so big. And banks need to keep making more loans to keep making money. So they have a problem. Now the dilemma is, well, how do we find more people to lend to? And that, of course, is not an easy problem to solve. Because finding more people would mean extending credit to people that you weren't willing to extend credit to before. Banks and credit card companies still need to find new people to give loans to. And so they've started thinking. Is there other data that they should be looking at to determine whether people who they wouldn't have lent to based on their traditional records, their credit scores, their credit reports, maybe they can lend to them because maybe that new data will make the case that these people are more financially responsible than that credit score suggests. Banks are looking at more and more data sets, some of which are pretty mundane and some of which are just very odd, to try to determine whether or not they should be lending to these people. Let's talk about the mundane, and then let's talk about the odd. So the mundane is largely comprised of looking at their bank accounts, specifically looking at if you have money left over every month, chances are you are a somewhat good risk, somewhat good bet to lend to. If you overdraw, that would make you risky. So maybe stay away from lending to that person. Another somewhat mundane example is looking at things like electric and other utility bills because they want to see, well, are you paying these bills every month or not? And if you're paying them every month, then that could also be a sign that you are financially responsible. Some of the, I would say, 
odd examples, which I, I was quite frankly surprised to learn about them as I was hearing about them, are things like whether you spend more money on groceries as opposed to eating out. One of the weirdest ones that I've heard is whether you subscribe to magazines or other content-type subscriptions and that you actually pay for them. If you're a registered voter, that counts in your favor. Where you shop. People who shop at discount stores have been found by at least one lender to be more financially responsible, more creditworthy than maybe the regular credit scores and credit reports would suggest. There are, of course, risks here. These new data points might not actually show what lenders are predicting, and then banks would be loaning out money to people who might not be able to pay it back, which would be bad for the borrowers, bad for the banks, and bad for the economy. For me, the biggest debate currently playing out is the following. The pros were very clear-cut that people who can't get access to affordable credit will be able to get affordable credit, period. But the other side of the debate is a really interesting one, which is, hey, is this dressing up people to look more creditworthy than they actually are? The answer to that question might lie in what exactly these programs look like. In 2016, big companies began to evaluate lending based on alternative data. One of the first was Ford Motor Company, which wanted to see if it could use new data sets to approve more people for car loans. Around the same time, Synchrony Financial started looking at alternative data to approve people for credit cards. And then, the company behind the most widely used credit score, the FICO score, made a big move. FICO scores have always been based almost entirely on people's history borrowing, what they do with the loans they get. Right. And so FICO um, announced uh, in October of last year that it was rolling out a credit score that was essentially unprecedented. And what I mean by that is a new score that would factor in how people manage their bank accounts in order to try to help to boost loan volume. And I said, well, why are you doing this? And they said, because the banks want this. Wow, that's really interesting. And what is it called? Ultra FICO. Ultra FICO. Ultra. Super FICO. (laughs) I also thought the way that the score is structured to be used was very telling. It's been created to function as a sort of um, appeal process for lenders. So a lender reviews your regular FICO score. Let's say the lender's score requirement is 720 and you have a 690, not good enough to get that green light for the loan. Then the lender can say to the applicant, can we take a look at your bank account data, factor it into this new FICO score to see if we can get you over that hump and get you approved. So it's an appeals process, essentially. Credit reporting companies jumped in, too. Experian and Equifax said they would start to allow people to supplement their credit reports with things like electric, phone, and cable payment history. And lenders like Goldman Sachs, Ally Financial, and Discover Financial are experimenting with using alternative data, too. These moves could lead to more revenue for banks and other lenders. And this doesn't just solve a problem for them. It could solve a problem for 100 million Americans, too. That's after the break.
Welcome back. There are more than 100 million Americans who have a low credit score or no credit score at all. That means they might get rejected if they apply for a loan. And about half of these people get labeled as subprime. So lenders have different definitions of what constitutes subprime. But generally, if you are below a 650 FICO score, you are subprime. For some lenders, that can be a higher or lower threshold. But what will get you into that category can be if you miss loan payments. If you're delinquent, that'll probably get you there. And any other major negative black mark as, you know, foreclosure, bankruptcy. But someone could also have a subprime score or even no credit score because they don't use credit. They pay for most things in cash. Anna Maria talked to one man in this situation. Angel Hernandez is a 42-year-old man who lives in New York City who is a maintenance worker. He has spent most of his life paying for pretty much all his expenses with cash. At one point, one of his sisters passed away. He needed to get to Puerto Rico for her funeral. And he needed to help pay for some of the funeral expenses. He didn't have the money for that. And he ended up getting approved for a loan by a small bank based in the Bronx, New York, called Spring Bank. And the way that Spring Bank determined whether to approve him for the loan had nothing to do with his credit score or credit report. Instead, the bank essentially partnered up with Angel's employer and said to the employer, okay, we are going to need to essentially take the loan payments from Angel's paycheck, but not in a payday kind of way. Angel had to open up a bank account at Spring Bank and had to arrange for a direct deposit to be made from his Mm -hmm. paycheck into that bank account. And then Spring Bank would take the money that Angel owed on the loan out of that bank account. So Spring Bank had, at its end, set up the payment structure in a way that it felt the chances of not getting paid are very low. Right. Right. And at the same time, allowed Angel to get one loan and then a second one a short while later. And Springbank reported those loans to credit reporting firms. So that then created a credit report for Angel. So shortly after getting these loans and paying the recurring bills for these loans, Angel said that he started receiving credit card offers in the mail. And over the past year, he has signed up for several credit cards. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for him? I mean, this is potentially a very good thing because the problem that these 50-some million people with no credit scores in the U.S. right now have is that they're just stuck. Because you don't have a credit score, you're not going to be able to get credit from a bank or another type of lender that reports the credit reporting firms. You're not moving. You're stuck there, right? Having a bank like Spring Bank give Angel that loan and then that bank reporting it to the credit reporting firms gave him a start in his financial life, essentially, his ability to get credit. If he performs well with these credit cards that he's received, he could then get other loans. Ultimately, he would like to be able to get a mortgage. Well, there's no real way to get a mortgage if you don't have a credit record, if you don't have a credit score. So in the best of scenarios, this would be his start to that path. Do these extra data points really help manage the risk of people defaulting on their loans? This is what the lenders are now testing. We're in the early stages of this type of new data being used. It's happening at a time when unemployment 
is super low, right? So this is probably as good of a time as it's going to get to, let's say, test out new data points and have them work in your favor as a lender, meaning the person's mm-hmm. going to pay the loan because, because they the have a job. Because so strong. Right. Yeah. Uh, what hasn't really been tested is what happens when these people get access to credit, get approved, and then the next recession comes. Right. Right. Will they perform as well as the lender's models initially suggested they would, or will things not play out so well? Right. Is it subprime with by another name? So... One reason why we should be cautious of calling this just subprime lending is because, yes, these people do have subprime credit scores, but the lenders this time around, they see the subprime score. They're not necessarily like, oh, you're approved, right? They see the subprime score and they're like, well, let's take a look at their bank account. Right. The criticism in the crisis was that banks were just like, Giving anybody a easy mortgage, credit. easy credit. They didn't do any examination. And so what you're saying is this time around it's different because there's added scrutiny. And Correct. And they're looking at these other data points, some of them mundane, as you say, some of them odd, but to build out a fuller picture of the borrower. And so it's just more research. Right. Goldman Sachs, the bank, said, look, we ingest many data points to make these decisions. It doesn't come down to just one thing. But the moment where I realized how potentially valid of a point the critics have here is I spoke with somebody who has been tracking subprime borrowers for many years. And I said, well, if somebody's paying their electric bill, they should be rewarded for that, shouldn't they? I mean, it is a monthly recurring bill. And the person said to me, this is an apples and oranges comparison because it is one thing to keep the lights on in your apartment and a very different thing to pay your credit card bill. Like when time comes to prioritize what you're going to pay, the lights will always come before the credit card bill. So to say that because somebody is you know, paying their light bill every month does not equate to somebody paying their credit cards. I thought, well, that does make some sense. This is definitely a big shift. I'd say an unprecedented one in the consumer lending industry. This could go either way. This could mean that banks accomplished their goal of giving out more loans and bringing more people into the system of affordable credit and being very helpful for those people. This could also not turn out well. And this could mean that when the next recession comes and unemployment spikes, that loan losses will rise substantially for institutions that are doing this type of lending. So we are in somewhat unprecedented territory right now, and it remains to be seen how this will all play itself out. That's all for today, Monday, September 23rd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.